Baba Booey. Baba Booey. Baba Booey. <laughs> okay, buddy. The delay. All right. Yeah. Welcome to the Suspicious Cast. My name is Nate Canaram. I'm Jackson. And I'm Zach. And then Hayden. our guest today is, yeah, Hayden. That's me. Yeah, okay. So, we all know each other from high school. Hayden is one of the close buddies. Um, today's episode, we're going to be covering something that, like, spans into every reach of life as we know it. Modern um, life. Yeah, modern life, especially. It's been around for a while. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, with the Industrial it's... Revolution came a lot of this, so... Yeah, it's just, it's becoming more and more relevant each year, technically. Yeah. It's like, more and more stuff is going, so. Yeah, okay. So, uh, instead of beating around the bush, we're just going to say what it is. Planned obsolescence. Now, you may be wondering, what is planned obsolescence? And Zach, what is planned obsolescence? I don't know. Primarily, it is a policy of producing goods, such like products that a company would make and planning for their time to be obsolete or broken in some manner or just unusable um, to the extent that they'd probably need a part for replacement or repair and just frequent changes in design, lack of spare parts being produced for said thing and like terrible make quality using like really bad plastics or materials that are going to break down over time on purpose. Yeah, and I think we all definitely have experiences with it, and it it like reaches into every day that we live. You know, if if you take a moment to like step back and look at like anything you've bought specifically that is like maybe like name brands, like that a company produces of any of any facet of life, you can find things that like probably broke down way before they should have, or right after the warranty ended. Yeah, and like I have a very long list from my personal life but like you mm-hmm. know i like a couple like really really decent um like examples would be like nylon stockings for example like we all know that nylon is used in climbing ropes parachutes like really strenuously tested gear right but like when you put that material on a woman's leg as stockings somehow they break within two weeks and get like stretched out and like broken and shit you may ask why is that and like at a certain point the stocking companies have decided to just make the material thinner they like stretched the polymer out and actually made it like nanometers right these things just wear out immediately so you spend the same amount of money on a pair of stockings that'll break in a shorter amount of time. You'd spend more money technically because right. you're you're not you're buying your first pair, and guess what? A couple of weeks later, you have to buy another, and then another, and another, and it's just this constant buying and breaking that could be solved fairly easily. Right. But if you the like, the problem is they're intentionally going for it to not be solved. Like they're creating the problem on purpose, and that's the whole idea behind planned obsolescence. Is that it's a company trying to sell you something again, because they basically, I I don't want to say they survive off of this income. It just it's more profitable for them. They make they make more money off of it more than they probably need. But who's to say how much a company needs? That's like another topic. But 
like specifically like they they will get more income for purposely having their products fail um in a certain amount of time because say in one month you can have someone buy two pairs of stockings probably three or you can have them buy one that's going to last them a really long long time you might have to put more work in on like your company's end of things producing it but realistically you'd be giving out a better product but it or you could sell three of them they all fall apart and people just keep buying them right it's like i have socks like the future um Mm -hmm. with you know oh well why don't they just charge more up front i mean i i heard this example recently which would be um you know this example is with gloves so it's the cheapest pair of gloves is the one that lasts the longest so say you know you pay um eighty dollars for, for a pair of gloves, right? That's pretty expensive, but they last 10 years. It's only $8 a year. Whereas, you know, maybe you buy a $10 pair of gloves and you have to get it one, um, you know, every year. Well, after that 10 years, it's a hundred dollars. So, you know, thinking about it in that aspect, um, obviously you, you might think, oh, just mark up the price. But first of all, that price is harder to swallow as an upfront cost, just as, um, the society people want to see that instant gratification of you know oh well i just got this for a cheap amount of money um but then also you can think of it as the the capital company um how are they going to have to budget that that large upfront sum of money um over a long period of time versus them getting constant income so i mean there's a whole bunch of factors but that's mm-hmm. just one example to think about yeah that's a really and... good point though because um i'll let you go first Nate. Yeah, no, and, like, I think the thing that makes me the most angry is that, like, they market these items as durable and whatnot. But, like, for me, I buy a pair of socks, you know, like, nice little pair of socks, say super durable on the side, right? It's, like, that's not the reality at all. If I wear them, that same pair of socks, like, once a week, they'll be gone in two months. Like, oh, it's my... a terrible thing about marketing. There's There's no reason, or they're not held liable to actually, like, say, like, how durable their product is they can label it however they want as fancy as they want they can say that say it's a um a vacuum that it'll pick up the most dirt out of any vacuum and it's like number one in america there's no actual backing behind that they just whatever's the flashiest and will catch people's attention the most they'll put on there right and i think like the thing that companies could do better is like if you're gonna put that label on the side make it marginally better for a little bit more in cost you don't have to have these extremes but the thing that's like really, really prevalent in these companies is that like they don't have competition with each other that much, right? They mm-hmm. all focus on their own categories and you know, they rely on brand stigma to make sure that their products are sold now and again, right? Like nobody knows who Duluth Trading Company is, right? Their socks have lasted me around three years now. But Impressive. every single pair of Under Armour socks I've ever bought, they've disintegrated in as little as two months right mm-hmm. makes me so angry but like since under armor has this reputation right people keep on buying their socks i'll keep on buying their socks you know like plus they, they, can, they can produce these terrible products at cheaper because they're able to buy their supplies in bulk i mean they're just a larger company they're buying in larger volumes suppliers are more willing to provide to them because not the only will piggyback off of that i mean the company's like reliably going to be selling like X amount of socks in a month, be it like 3000 units. The supplier is going to have to be able to supply them with however much material is needed for such thing. Not only would the supplier actually supply the material, 
But because it's Under Armour, and they know that, hey, if we give you this material, you're going to sell X amount of stock of this, like mm -hmm. your socks. So we're going to give you this material at a discounted price over other people, creating a, it's not a monopoly, but it's like heavily supports one company over another. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's like positive feedback loop of just, you know, obviously it's more efficient. People always say buy in bulk, you know, it's more efficient, but it's also, I mean, for those companies that are working with the raw materials, it's more efficient to sell in bulk too, because they don't have to send it as many places. It's not as yeah. many things to organize. So you kind of get this positive feedback loop of just things that keep compounding on each other. And like going back to what you said about like the glove and like having that larger upfront cost on like the consumer level, like that that is like a problem that a lot of people do face as well. And just buying in bulk, like in the long run, it is like it could be saving you like a little or even a lot of money. But it's just like it's that matter of like being able to get past that first hurdle as well. And mm -hmm. I I want to say like in like current times like you're going to be able to market towards a larger audience and get more sales for a terrible product if you're able to market it down in yeah. price. And economically speaking, a company that is able to mass produce socks has an advantage over a company that isn't mass producing socks, right? Mm -hmm. Their ability to compete with the company that isn't producing socks is compounded by the fact that their materials are cheaper, more efficient, and you know are generally more well-known. You know, and it's like that happens in a lot of lot of competition these days, you know, with like 3D printing, you have a very, very large new market that isn't saturated by one company over another, really. You know, there are big mm -hmm. names, yes, but for the majority of the market, it's companies that are competing with each other directly, right? With, you know, clothing, especially the companies aren't competing with each other, right? They each have their own fans. Everybody buys a set amount pretty much because right? it's like it's a necessity, you know, um, and like because it's so easy to make a high amount and because it's so easy to buy a high amount, people do that regardless. Right. And then you have like a separate product category for stuff that actually lasts longer. Mm -hmm. And it just like the price is driven up by the fact that nobody's buying that stuff, you know, and it's like it's unfortunate because yeah, it, like. That's just how a lot of things are marketed nowadays, and you're right. Like, it, it's all like they make like their niche kind of like consumer market almost by like having like a like they they purposefully market towards a certain audience, or maybe a certain audience will like pick up a pair of goods, and they kind of just can expect them to keep buying the same thing over and over again, even if the quality drops. Like they're still gonna buy from them because it's like, oh well, I've had so many good products, or I've enjoyed so many products from this company that I'm going to keep buying from them. And that's like where the whole, like, I, I want to say that's where like the problem kind of like stems from is that people stick with things, whether they're good or bad, just because of like the stigma or what everyone else is doing, but it'd be like through like bandwagon or like a lot of different marketing techniques really like go into this. Or like if it's like celebrities or advertisements, you see it everywhere. Like in some way or another, they market their stuff. They have enough of a name out there. And there's not enough of a supply from anyone else because it's hard to get into a market that's already so saturated. Yeah. It, it's very risky, too, because you don't know if you're going to do well. And that's kind of like how it is for the suppliers, too. You don't want to like it's easy to market to say like Under Armour and give them nylon for socks um, because, you know, they're going to sell it. 
but if you have a smaller company, you don't really know if you want to. Yeah, you don't know if they're going to keep that units. contract with you, you know? Yeah, like, it's, it's an unstable, un, like, it's a risky thing. And, I mean, risk management's kind of a very large part of business. Yeah, I think, like, nowadays especially, like, the smaller, more higher-quality markets are kind of struggling because not many people have the appreciation for the work that goes behind it. And, mm -hmm. you know, not many people are very considerate of the, like, I don't know, this is today, the state, <laughs> the sustainability aspect of higher quality goods as well. You know, like a good pair of gloves is going to last 10 years longer than like five pairs of cheap gloves, you know? Mm. And like, you know, you're wasting five glove worth of material in those cheap gloves you know just yeah, you in could have one designed it with more care behind how you made it with the same amount of material and just generally made it more durable or longer lasting with it, it it should not be that much more effort put in or that much more material perhaps just the process made like used in order to create something um but they're like it's, it is just a waste of material you kind of had a point with uh printers if you wanted to bring that up Oh, yeah. I mean, printers are the classic example of planned obsolescence in the terms like the ink cartridges are a different standard for every single company year on year, right? And um, the printers are shit, you know? Cheap ABS plastic, really, really bad mechanical components with pretty much awful rails, all that stuff. You can go on that on a different subject, but like the printers are sold to you as like the cheapest thing of it, right? The ink is where they get you, right? The ink cartridges have timers in them that, you know, will send a code to the machine after a certain time saying that there's no more ink. There there are there there is ink in those cartridges still. And like it's very easily provable in that point. But the fact that they can get you on ink over and over again is just mm -hmm. like freaking awful. You know, you have to buy new cartridges or else your printer won't work. You know, I think on that on that topic, if you don't mind me interjecting, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, go for it. Yeah, is I've actually um, seen something about this. So um, going kind of off what you said is if you don't uh, buy new cartridges, it's not going to work. Um, that's actually, I think, a little even more true than you think it is, because um, some of these companies are actually putting, like you said, a little timer, a little chip on those cartridges that send a signal to the printer to stop working. Well, um, you know, there's been examples and um, you know, research done to prove that a lot of times if people open them up and refill them themselves, these chips can, um, for some companies, notice that um, and, you know, send a signal and, you know, send an error code through the printer to make it not print because it knows that you're using your own ink and not their proprietary um, ink. And I think that can go for a lot of things. Um, I think the obvious example would, or an, an obvious example would be um, like Apple as a company, um, their new iPhone got um, or I forget which one it was, but um, they put on a new iPhone and uh, a bunch of repair companies were, weren't happy because um, they were showing that uh, they could take two exactly the same iPhones, both with complete factory parts and switch one part out for um, from one phone into the other and vice versa. And they both wouldn't work because the phone knew that it wasn't the, the original part, even though it was original. Uh, mm -hmm. from from Apple. So, you know, those repair companies weren't um, allowed to repair their thing. So it's just one of those things. 
and that exactly like what you're talking about apple on the basis that i mean they just sell so many units in regards to like their iphones and the amount of technology they have um mm -hmm. they're one of the leading opposers of something called the right to repair and again planned obsolescence one of the main things is that either using poorly made parts or just not allowing spare parts to be exchanged in something that is broken like basically not allowing the person who bought something to fix it if anything goes wrong um because yeah I, I know exactly what you're talking about and i've seen a couple instances myself where repair shops will take the apple like they, they'll basically just buy it from the exact same factory that apple buys their screens from and they'll yeah. replace someone's like iphone 10 screen where it's basically like the entire thing's glass they have to re like undo this like layer of glue and take out a couple screws and then switch it in but they don't have apple's specific software to boot it up or it wasn't done in like the factory in some like really niche process and so it'll lock them out and then the screen won't work even if everything that was done as is and that just that this happens in a lot of with software coming up and up as it is i mean it's been decades in the making but companies are like really like enjoying taking advantage of just not updating software for older parts or older machines i mean and they can even purposefully damage your older machines i think apple had a i don't know if like scandal is the right word but it, it is yeah like they were they, intentionally they, they were... slowing down iphones yeah but and their excuse was like... to save the battery life it's still yeah, going it's on terrible excuse yeah it is i mean every time there's a new apple release like everyone's phones start acting up or having problems and it, it it's like it's comedic almost because it's right in front of you. You know what's going on. But again, are you going to buy another Apple? Probably because of the convenience. You're already hooked on the company. And I mean, this happens in like so many different things. I mean, you, like some, have you ever, for any of you guys, like have you ever ha like bought something or maybe your parents did, be it like an appliance or some kind of like machine. And right after the warranty ends or, as, or like a couple of months maybe that like everything just starts going to shit. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. it's like, you know, you said that and you, you brought up another, or you made me remember another example. Yeah. My fridge um, has this little panel on it, right? That, you know, mm -hmm. say uh, you can select different types of ice or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. after a couple uh, months, it says um, that the filter needs replaced. There's, and we looked at it, the filter does not need replaced. I mean, it's oh, just never. one of those things that, like, they're, they're, it's on the timer. And it's, it doesn't matter how much, you know, you use the water. It's just going to tell you to buy another one. Um, so there's another example that I just thought of off a window. Oh, oh, sure. fridges. fridges. Oh, my God. Okay, like, the actual fridge itself is fine. I got them on this fine, one. Right? Because, like, they have to comply with efficiency standards. You know, like, the five-star efficiency standard, whatever it is. You know, they have to comply with that. So the actual fridge is fine. It's built great, you know? Like, normally it would be totally okay. Where they get you is like with the drawers or the electronics and shit like that. Like, the drawers all are so those, fucking all flimsy. All those little pieces are what, like what they really like to like rack up. Oh, dude! And try buying replacements. Holy fuck, man! It it is the worst thing to do. I probably spent like a couple of weeks trying to replace a filter in my fridge, just like you said, because it was from the exact same company. Uh, we went to the store, talked to like some guy, and like got a bunch of help for it. And he, like, specifically gave us the wrong filter. And it was, like, this really pain-in-the-ass hassle. And we went through multiple filters. Just try it, it, Probably to replace a filter that did not need to be replaced. 
because it no. is just on like a timer telling like the machine just says like oh you know it's been like a couple months the filter needs to get replaced even if if even if it's good for like the next couple of like weeks months years it doesn't matter it's it did it's annoying because like they crank out those models of fridge like there's the same thing with printers know. too they release like at least 10 new models a year per company and it is insane about, like machining like a new part like they constantly always like a lot of these companies they'll make things just wildly different from older models so that you can't integrate like pieces or parts from say an old fridge or like i don't know even in like some like cars or tools or what what have you like they'll purposely go out of their way to make a completely different part or system of like putting things together which which is expensive on their part like that's a literal expense for them but in the grand scheme of things when it like that one part failing ends up with someone buying say a new fridge because one of their racks broke and they can't put a replacement in it, it's money in the bag for them right and like they could there's no reason why they should, you know, make it better, you know, because like people still fall for the same tricks year after year. Well, no, it, it, it's, it's, it's a really hard problem because you realize that you'd have to educate a large amount of people on the topic with a lot of well, like, like facts, facts and sources and really try and like get them to understand like what's going on, because even if someone does understand what's going on what can you do against a system as large as it is right like what's more powerful you have so many large corporations and they all have like their own sectors kind of like you said i mean you have like technology you'll have like software like you have like the like the large corporations and say for phones you have iphone you have samsung um and then you can go and look at like get or house appliances there's like uh things like uh, frigidaire and Maytag like it's just like these very large corporations have so much of the market and it's something that kind of irks me because you learn it at a young age like what capitalism is and in an ideal like capitalist market you don't really have monopolies slowing everything down it's like molasses in the gears like having an effective like capitalist market to me and this is like maybe off of what I've learned is having competition and having people go head to head to try and one up each other and get the consumer to buy their product over the like whoever else they're trying to compete with but right. now there's no competition and everyone's buddy buddy with each other um probably because it just makes things easier yeah, everybody makes more money you know yeah everybody makes more money and like i think that's the frustrating thing about appliances in general is just like these companies are working with each other to make a standard of obsolescence that like makes them not compete with each other yeah. if there's one company that is obviously better than the others other. you know everybody else has to make a product that competes with it and like, like it's an ex- nobody wants to do that nobody wants to spend the money to make something better than no, another it, person it, it, when everybody can make this is like an extreme example but like when any com- countries have gone to war with each other and I, I the the baseline is that they're they have another competitor now and so they're trying to one-up them in some regard competition is what like strives innovation but i mean like war war is like a terrible example for this kind of thing but in capital like a capitalist market like you don't need war you just need someone to butt heads with yeah i I think that's that's not happening anymore though that's not happening anymore though 
I mean, no, in a lot of industries, yeah, but like I think a good example of an industry where competition is a big part, like again, 3D printers and like CNC mm-hmm. equipment and stuff like that. Like, yeah, you have so many all of those markets like trying to make their like best version of something and improve different yeah, things. No, it's like all those new technologies, like none of those companies really have. Well, some of them obviously there are bigger companies that are branching into that, but you know, none of those companies really have made a name for themselves yet because the technology hasn't made a name for itself yet. So. It's it's the everybody's still uh, competing. I mean, mm-hmm. when smartphones first came out, all those companies were making the best device they could, so that you would eventually stick with their device. Now Apple obviously came out and probably was the the leader in the modern day smartphone and that type of technology. And since they had that kind of that audience, um, that captive audience now that's in their ecosystem and everything, and they made that name for themselves, they can kind of back down the quality of their products and people are just going to keep buying it. So that's 100%. partly where that, that issue is going to, going to stem from is while there may be, you know, up and coming companies that might be willing to spend that money because they view it as important to make a sustainable product. They don't have the name for themselves yet. And people go, well, why would I spend more money on a company that I don't know the name of when I could just get something cheaper and they don't see it in the long run, and right. which is such a like huge this. problem and something that's so hard to f- solve. It's the cycle of like complacency, which this isn't even limited to industry. This is just like in everything where you work really hard to achieve something. Say Apple wanted to be the leader in um, phones and they wanted to sell like the best and like the best products to as many people as they could and like build up an audience. Maybe money wasn't in mind at the time. They just really wanted to give something that people could use and like change the world. But then you get to a point where it's like, okay, well, kind of achieve that. There's an Apple phone in everyone's hands. And now you have a bunch of money and a bunch of like security in that regard. Like your company is not going to go under. Now, what do you do? You make minor improvements and you try and sell them back to the people. It's just like eventually at some point, I feel like things get too big. And that's where things start to fall apart. The company doesn't put as much pride in their work and they kind of just keep following whatever system is the most safe for them and like secure. They're not going to take big strides. I mean, you can see even in like things like, I think it was Pepsi or Coke. uh, Once upon a time, they tried changing the formula and marketing that as like Pepsi two or something. And there was outrage and they lost a ton of sales and people boycotted it until they changed it back. And it's like, Companies have seen like for, and like learned from history that like if they try and do something like wildly different from what they're already selling, that there could be a lot of backlash, and that's too risky, and so they don't want to do it. And like, it's just this matter of like getting too comfortable with something that does work and not trying anything new, and well, not going to get anything new out of that, obviously. Yeah. You know, going back to when you said, um, you know, making minor changes. To be clear, that's not a new thing. And I'm not just saying, oh, you know, that that started happening 30 years ago. Um, an example I can think of was the uh, Ford Model T. If you heard you know, me typing, that's what that was. I was looking up this date. Um, October 1st, 1908. That's when the Ford Model T was uh, first released, right? It was the first production car that was, you know, relatively affordable, um, yada, yada. I can go into it, but whatever. Soft off topic. Um, this car, obviously... A lot of people bought it because, like I said, it was that first available or first widely affordable car for the, you know, new and uh, um, more modern U.S. So 
When did um, it come out again? So, 1908. And also, so, how many different models did they make? Like, they definitely... That, that's what I'm going into, is yeah. they... And you can see this in my in modern cars, too, is they sold a bunch of these, right? Um, and then once everybody kind of had one, people stopped buying them, and they realized, hey, the money stopped coming in. So what did they do? Every year, they made slightly different changes. Oh, you know, let's let's make a bigger gas tank, or, you know, we'll make a... We'll release a new color that looks really... Uh, appetizing to the eye you know stuff like that so this this you know um, idea of changing things and making ever so slight changes every year to keep people coming back this is something that's over 100 years old i mean this and is not something that just popped up so it's gonna be something that you know too. because yeah, i mean this... what's something that we're like notorious for i mean honestly as a nation or even a world is just being incredibly inefficient in the way we use our resources i mean let's be honest like it's not perfect it's hard to strive for perfection but we're definitely not even at like a middle ground because i mean say even back like with the model t's if they were marketing an entirely new car but with just a bigger gas tank why could they not have just implemented or sold a kit or maybe a service where they'll put in a larger gas tank in your car and i mean that's just like something that doesn't happen anymore nowadays is like you have to yeah. buy an entirely new thing and like that's the whole idea behind all of this is just like you have to buy an entirely whole new product instead of even being able to just like repair or change one small thing just because everything's built so proprietary around itself yeah i mean things built nowadays you aren't intended to change it modify it or fix it yourself you don't know know? how it works they don't right they don't give you manuals anymore for anything cars i think in like the oh I don't know, a couple of decades ago, they used to come with like an entire manual telling you how the entire engine block works, how to change parts in and out, how to fix things if there's a problem. Now it's just all like AAA, take it to your nearest mechanic or whatever and get it fixed or take it to the dealership more specifically and have it fixed by certified whatever brand car you have. So, you know, go. we're talking about Apple a lot, but I think it's a really easy comparison that everybody oh, it's can a make very it's very easy target yeah. so around target. all of us but um <laughs> going back to um apple and uh right to repair so you were talking about how you know things used to come with manuals and everything there was actually a guy um because you know these apple phones weren't coming with anything he was a repair uh owner of a repair shop and he actually released his own uh manual on you know the internals and how to repair things and he got sued by apple um, and I'm, I, I hate to quote it without knowing the outcome of the case, but regardless of the outcome, if even if he won, you got to think of how much money he had to put into that case and how much of, you know, uh, a yeah, legal team the, that such a big company like that like can put behind somebody is that like, you're not like, if you don't, even if you don't win the case, you might just financially cripple them to the point exactly. where they can't even do anything afterwards because legal matters are really expensive you have to hire a good lawyer if you actually want to like stand a chance against these larger companies and on a small scale that's not really like possible sometimes and that's why a lot of people either like just give up or just stop bringing up the matter yeah and, like that's what they hope for is they I mean, in court or they bring it the, up the biggest proponent of trying to get right to repair to be like wide stream is farmers do they like John Deere has like really electronically complex tractors nowadays, right? If they try to repair something, it's not going to work. 
you know, like they've hired hackers to try to get this stuff working. So like, I think the biggest floor for right to repair to stand ground, like at least electronically is, um, you know, with the farmers trying to get that stuff into the works is so, so, so difficult. You know, um, I think it's like less than, I think less than 20 states have right to repair laws currently. Um, and our state, Ohio, is is not one of them whatsoever. There has never been a bill introduced into the Ohio state legislature. Decently large farming industry. Right, right, and like I think the biggest thing we have to remember is that like once the farmers have it, we have it too. Every consumer will have it, right? And I think federally we need to do better. You know, this yeah. needs to be one of the larger things I'm... to come into politics, is because like fixing things is so important, especially for our world. You know. We talk about sustainability. Well, this is one of the better ways to do it. You know, make our iPhones repairable. Allow us the tools to do it. We don't care if you make it hard. We'll do it anyways. That's mm-hmm. how it works. You know, just allow us to do it in the first place. As soon as you start that- introducing like ID locks and stuff like that, like we're going to get mad. We're going to write legislature. The fact that we had to write legislature in the first place just pisses me off because like, these companies are taking advantage of us so much that we can't farm anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know the yep. exact uh, source that you mentioning this whole uh, farming situation with John Deere, because I watched either the same thing or something similar, but there were representatives from, I think, Apple and other large like software corporations coming to a small court out in the country to specifically object the right to repair because it would affect every single well, matter of industry because now people would be able to then legally have to be able to repair their iPhones if it goes through that farmers can repair their iPhones. Right, and, and I like, think... That's the exact relation you're talking about. It's what these companies like, are scared of is like people's ability to sue them on grounds of class action type shit. You know, like you can sue Apple over not being able to repair your iPhone because you have this legislature and you can make it class action. You can like directly force Apple to change their ways through these legislatures by, by just, you know, passing a bill and they can't do shit about it. They can't do anything, you know? Mm -hmm. And I I think it gives the consumers such, such good grounds, you know, it's like pretty important to me anyways. think about on like another to think about on another like whole area of this like the right to repair like sure apple would take a blow from this or like any company would because they can't keep producing the same thing over and over because people could just repair it but think about what's going to happen to the economy when people who are like you got your apple super geek guy who loves apple and he's actually mechanically smart well guess what like if you can actually go and repair your iphone guess what's going to happen more jobs are going to open up and more people are going to be wanting hopefully if they are like-minded to go and like learn how to repair these things Mm -hmm. so that they're like they have more knowledge like it doesn't even have to be apple it can right. be on John Deere tractors. It can be on Xboxes, PlayStations. Yeah, everything. 
it just opens up so many different jobs and like it's it's a really weird area because it's like hey i've got my xbox 360 that i love playing why would i want to go play these new games when this is my nostalgia games that i only play i want to get this fixed so he's not putting more money into microsoft directly he's putting money into his repair company now maybe like microsoft taxes some of the income because it's an xbox i don't know it's a possibility that could happen which could be a way to get like the right to repair to actually work i mean yeah you can charge money for parts i mean that that's the thing here it's like yeah, you, you can, can still charge, charge money, money for, for parts, parts. And the service to put them in even if people don't want to take that little extra step but i th- that's something i don't personally understand i mean be, well i guess i do it's just frustrating to understand the matter of like i don't know having to buy like a whole new car because say your your wheel or whatever broker that there was a um a recall on it or whatever like why do you have to buy an entirely new thing because it spikes sales but then you're screwing over the little guy and that's kind of what drives the entire market i mean no one person becomes a billionaire off of like a single sale or whatever like it is millions if not tens or hundreds of millions of people buying a product under one person's company that make that will give them all their success right and it's it's kind of like it's a really important example that like might not be understood by a lot of people but it's like and this might be a little bit long-winded but here's here's the situation you have a little kid and or two little kids in the street and they're playing and they're like i don't know throwing rocks at each other or something and they accidentally break a storefront window like that sucks it's a terrible thing but if you look into it that storefront window had to be made by some glass manufacturer and they had to resource sand from somewhere which means an excavation company had to do the work and they're getting paid to source that sand and then you they have the coal to power their glass blowing and their forges in order to actually heat that glass and they have the tools to shape it and make it and those tools have to be made by like say like a blacksmith or an iron worker and it's just the economy is fueled by a lot of intricacies working together with each other in order to keep each other like surviving i mean it everything's really complicated and complex and tied together i think like a huge thing that like lawmakers don't realize is that when the big companies get to take money over and over again you really like cut out a lot of economic movement right right like you can increase local economics by just letting them Mm -hmm. fix stuff like, you know, I don't have any problems with like whoever manages to like get to be the point of like a, a multimillionaire or billionaire. I really don't have a problem with that. The problem I have is like when you consolidate both like that into one point and honestly, like nothing really gets done with it. It doesn't go back into your economy where right. they don't spend it in any manner. That's where the problem is because the the money's going somewhere, but nowhere else. The economy's healthy when it's flowing around and it's moving and it's going from place to place because that's where industries will go up and they'll like fall down because times change and like different like needs change. I mean, if the tech companies were able to get like 
more resources because I think semiconductors are on a shortage, like a complete shortage right now, just with the high demand of computers and cars and whatnot. And um, that company like shut down, I think. Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah one of the oh larger superconductor like, producers like shut down. Like more money needs to go into something like that and people would be willing to pay for that and suppliers and producers would be willing to pay for that system to have more wealth in it because it's a matter of supply and demand and industries that aren't as profitable or just aren't like kind of keeping up with like modern times yeah they'd probably fall out but that's just how things work i got a couple things kind of yeah. uh one thing this is kind of going back about five minutes back in the conversation sure. about um you know um even if uh, when we were talking about car companies and re repairing cars and somebody was, somebody said, uh, even if, you know, the, the company does it and, you know, they have to charge a fee or whatever to do it. Um, well, I see where you're going. I kind of disagree with that. I think it's important to kind of not lose sight of the fact that right to repair is about the consumer being the one to be able to do it. Um, and I right. haven't paid the company because right. that's kind of what, that's kind of what we're doing with, you know, with, with the genius bar at Apple. Uh, as an example, you know, they, they're the ones that unlock your phone once they make that right. uh, repair. And I, I think um, the there's, second a, thing... there's a clear distinction between mechanical right to repair and electronical right to repair. Because yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, that's, mechanically, that's you can fix too. anything given enough skill. But electronically, the maker of that electronic can lock it down so that you cannot touch it. You know, that, that's, yeah. the, that's, that's the biggest thing here. Like allowing somebody to fix it in the first place is why right to repair is important, you know. Like and then, cars, are, cars you can machine apart, you know, but you can't yeah. re-engineer the electronics necessarily because they have it locked. And that's something that like I like notoriously have heard is like Apple has had like the FBI or like uh, like federal agencies come up to them and be like, we need you to unlock this phone. And Apple just says that they can't like there's nothing they can do because they purposely design it so that they're completely locked out or whoever tries to access it is locked out of even being able to use it and it's basically bricked yeah and then kind of we were talking a little bit earlier about the economy and how how that would affect it um mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. part of that's you know you can think of the fact that well there's constant income coming into the economy if people are going to be constantly buying a product over and over again and you know the taxes are going to go to the government so you can look at it that way or you can kind of look at it from a slightly different aspect and think well you know if those those um you know, giant companies aren't getting quite as much money. Um, you know, that, that money is eventually still, in my opinion, at least going to go back into the government with taxes and stuff um, because the consumer is going to have more spending money and they're going to put that into other things. Now, whether that be, um, you know, this kind of goes back to, well, what are they going to spend it on? Is it going to be something that, you know, breaks <laughs> all the time as well? Or it might just be that people are going to have a more diverse, you know, background of hobbies you know they might be able to do more things because stuff isn't going to break as often um and i think people are kind of getting complacent with the fact that um things break all the time as we talked about earlier for an example i play hockey right so i play hockey is one of my favorite sports and one of my teammates um this past season said you know i think it's about been about two two years i'm about ready to get new skates and his skates fit him just fine so it's it's people um you know they get into this loop of well you know it's been so long i probably need new ones and while skates in you know the world of hockey are still built very well and they last a long time if you take care of them 
people get so complacent to the point where industries that aren't even, you know, affected by um, this planned obsolescence, you know, people are kind of getting to that loop of, well, it's been a while. I should probably get new ones. So yeah, a lot of people um, do it with shoes too. You know, like your shoes can be perfectly fine, but you get a new pair because you know, you just want a new pair. It's it's like a total mental game. And you're basically like teaching people that they don't have to take care of things because you can just buy a new set of it or buy a whole new thing. And I'm laughing because I've been having this problem with my kitchen knives. Um, <laughs> they're comedically dull. They're like, like yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm we trying know. To take, I'm trying to take some steps to like Can't understand, like, hit a whetstone, um, like sharpen them, take care of them, be responsible for these knives because it, it's ridiculous to keep buying an entire block of knives just because you start to get dull. Right. Because and there's you know, plenty of material still there to sharpen it and yeah. to keep using it. And like, I know that there's like people who have had like skates their entire life and that they have used them and they got them when they were like in their like twenties or something, but they took care of their skates. They changed out some parts if need be, but you, like you take care of something, it'll last you a long time more so when it's designed to be like that. Yeah. Or, I mean like knives, like cheap knives, right? They make it out of shit steel because it's shit steel. You know, that's yeah. why they sell it to you so cheap, but like they dull easy. They're easy to, break you know that's why expensive knives are expensive because they use Mm -hmm. good steel good materials you know and like the cheap knife manufacturers can like upmarket a little bit make it seem like they're better better material better quality you know super sharp right but like at the end of the day they're taking advantage of the fact that consumer like the average consumer does not know the necessary skills to keep those knives going for a long period of time like that's where they make their money because you keep on buying knives again Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, you could just buy, like, a $350 set of knives and be set for the rest of your life. Like, literally, you can do that, you know? They sell you really whetstone, too, most times. You basically only need, like, one or two knives. And I'll be at, like, nicer knives, and you'll be fine in your kitchen. You don't need, like, an entire set of knives. Right. You don't you know, need this whole block. Like, it, it's it's unnecessary. Yeah, and a lot of knife fac- like a, ni- a lot of knife vac- manufacturers will like sell you a whetstone with your knives and like sell really? you a guide to make sure that you know how to sharpen your knives. It's so, like a lot of high quality knives, they have YouTube channels that'll just like show you how to sharpen your knives, take care of them, everything like that. Like educational videos along with your product, you know. Like and they want them to last like, long a time. The problem is like I don't know, if you're like not in the loop of like or you don't have like a facet to like educate yourself. And honestly, with the internet being around nowadays, it's kind of hard to say that you don't. But like, like another thing in my kitchen, kitchens are notorious for a lot of this stuff. I mean, so is everything. But like, kitchen pans or whatnot, like, I don't know, pans just kind of getting ruined over time is kind of like ridiculous. When there's kind of the alternative of if you just know how to take care of a cast iron skillet and how to like season it properly it can last you decades. Like you're not going to have problems with it. It's just, you have to have that kind of inform initial input of information of this is how you maintain this product and it'll last you forever. Yeah. And I, I was kind of thinking back on, uh, um, you know, w- with how we were all talking about, um, you know, information, it's, the information being out there to repair things is um, right now I'm actually restoring a boat, a sailboat, and uh, it is from 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has had two owners in the past and it's in, you know, it needed a little bit of repair. 
but it's had repairs done to it in the past. And that's just because there's this long line of people before that have openly put out information um, on how to repair them. And I was actually looking through the manual that came through it and the manual inside of there has, um, it, it literally has picture by picture information on how to repair the hulls of this boat. And that's awesome. just the company being purely transparent on, Hey, you know, if you drag this boat around beaches, which is part of what you do with them, uh, with this style of boat, you know, this will happen and this is how you repair it. And right. th that's why this boat is 41 years old because people repair these boats because they know how to. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why having that constant stream of information is so important. Um, you know, this, and, and that's, and that's another thing about, um, you know, stimulating the economy The like I said, this boat's had, uh, I'll be the, I'm the third owner. Um, this boat has lasted this long and it's, it's constantly getting transferred. And as that title gets transferred, there's money that goes into the government, there's title fees, there's taxes. So this, the money's still going to get spent regardless of if the product is, you know, bought once and resold or kept in the family, whatever. Um, or if you're buying it all the time and it's just as a consumer, there's one obvious one that just seems like a little bit uh, better for you. It works yeah. out better. I think modern companies, as far as like who is doing that and who isn't, like it's a lot of times companies that actually make like guides and resources for consumers to let them have their products last longer are just like smaller companies in general. I know that mm -hmm. Hobie specifically, they have guides to teach you how to fix the hull of your kayak, you know, and like what my boat is, is a Hobie. So yeah, yeah. Hobie's always been great, you know. And like a lot of people know about it, they they are in surfing now, stuff like that. I know a lot of um, a lot of longboard companies will teach you how to clean the bearings when you buy the bearings. They have a guide for it, you know. Um, and like in general, there are places where companies are legitimately putting in the effort to make sure that their stuff lasts longer. And by mm -hmm. doing that, word of mouth spreads. It like, hey, this is a really good product. I like love this product. You should get this product too. That is, in my mind, more powerful than any advertisement on Instagram because oh my God. you know you have somebody like that you know that is reputable saying that this product is really really good, and so like you know I'll get that product. You know, like for me, like I have. To... Go for it. You finish that. But uh, like for me, I have certain things that I really love using because it has lasted me a really, really long time. Like my climbing rope lasted me forever. I would recommend it any day. You know, my oh. double belay devices, I'd recommend it any day, you know? Hold on, and... hold on. I got, I got to hop in on this. I'm sorry. Yeah, go for it. So my family has a set of sockets, okay? They're Craftsman sockets. You want to know when, when we got these? Probably Solid at least 1991 out there. When my grandpa was like thirty, so over right, it's later than that. <laughs> oh dear God! So like nineteen forty something. That's like sixties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These are real road sockets, and guess what? They work great. And if yeah. they stop working, guess what? They're craftsmen, and they offer like free repairs. I want to or semi-free because i think you'd have to pay for shipping or something or mm -hmm. if you ship it because 
I'm not completely sure Some how it works. Some form of lifetime warranty. Yeah, like yeah. it's. A, I I yeah. know I know Craftsman. My dad used to have ratchets that he'd send in, or like yeah. you'd go to Sears and you'd get a replacement because they carry yeah. Craftsman. But like Sears no longer does that, and Craftsman no. really doesn't make the same quality of tool that they used to. No, yeah, which is like kind of sad, you know. But it is super sad. But it's insane how long these are lasting, and we still use them. Like right, every week. You know, and there are companies that like you know. There's memes about how much, like people spend on this shit. But like, oh yeah, Snap On, oh, yeah. Matco, all those companies. They're like, they're still making good quality stuff that still lasts. Like, of course, their electronic shit is made by other people, and it's not as good. But the hardware, the mechanical stuff, is like still just oh, yeah. as good as it used to be made. You know, but it comes with a premium, just like anything else. You can go yeah. to Lowe's, buy a set of Cobalt for like. 140 bucks but to get the equivalent in snap-on would be like at least 400 but yeah think about it this way get me started oh my god snap-on's insanely expensive but like it's proven that they'll last you you know especially in a professional setting (laughs) what's up aiden sorry i have my window open if you do that it's a freaking flock of geese flew over the house (laughs) (laughs) just yelling it happens. Like, even in... So, I work in the bicycle industry. And you... I have coworkers who have been working at my bike shop for, like, 40-plus years. And they have tools that they got when they started working there. Because they have just kept up so well. And it's crazy how certain tool brands just don't care as much as others with the quality of their tools. Like you'd, I know, and this goes with what we're, what we're talking about. Like I would rather buy a nice set of tools and have them till a hundred years or whatever, till they actually are non-usable than to buy a set of uh, crap that breaks within two weeks because of my workload. So. Yeah, I mean, I've always loved the idea of having something for a really long time and just, like, living through it, you know? Because, like, to me, the scars, scratches, and blemishes on things, like, they mean more to me than just a new thing. Like, my body specifically, I'm scratched up, man. I've got scars all over the place, but I'm (laughs) proud of it, you know? Like, I'm proud of that. It tells the story. And, like, I've got stuff that I own. I might be young that, like, will probably be with me the rest of my life, you know? And there's an entire art form, like, dedicated to that in Japan. And it's just, like, called Kintsugi. But yeah. it's the appreciation of all these scars and nicks and damages in something. And more specifically, the art of repairing it. If you were to drop a bowl on your counter and it shattered into a ton of pieces you'd take the time to repair it, put it back yeah, they, together. Yeah, they would they'd fix it with golden flux and yeah, all that stuff. If, if you have, like, a blue bowl, use some gold paint to show and appreciate the damage and the time that has gone into this bowl, how long you've had it, what's happened to it. It, like, it gives something character, and it gives you the appreciation of the th- things you have. And that's almost like something that's kind of like being pushed out of the way by having people with the mentality that they don't need to fix things they just get something new is 
you don't take care of your stuff as well. I, I feel like that might be an indirect cause. I don't have anything backing this statement right now, but I really do feel that like by not having people understand how to take care of like, okay, if I took care of my, like say a boat and I would was repairing it and I was going through all this effort, I feel like some part of that would would eventually apply into other facets of my life. I might take right. care of things and actually be like a little bit more delicate with them or maintain them. But if every single time you have something break, you just are like, oh, I can just go get a new one. You don't take as good care of it, and it's just, it's kind of silly. Right, and over over time, this has gotten myself. worse. Oh, yeah. You know, like, when you break a button on a on a jacket or something like that, like, the often response is like, oh, you can go get a new one. And, like, mm -hmm. that's especially prevalent in people... Button. And people our age, the millennials or like Generation X or whatever it is, right? Like mm -hmm. all of us have been taught that it's easier just to go get a new one. And none of us have been taught how to fix the old one. And there are yeah. so many things in life that you have to, to learn things. about. Yeah, but like things, there's a lot of stuff that you can fix, right? Mm -hmm. But not a lot of people take the time to learn how to do it. No. And I think that's like the biggest problem is that like people are under undereducated in how people, it's, to keep it's, things it's going. It's annoying, it's tedious, and it is like a process. That, right. But if you work through it, it's rewarding. Well, it's a really important part of it. Like you're talking about having a profession that specializes in fixing something in it. You want to talk about one that's kind of dying because of what's happened to it. The like the watchmaking slash watch repair oh, is dying. It, it goes for anything. I, it's, well, it, it may be silly, but like, I mean, accordions. Um, I think there's one accordion shop in the world, and I could Damn. be wrong, that well, actually bothers to repair them and knows how to because those kind of crafts or, I guess, trades yeah, are dying out. Yeah, it's they, also like handmade scissors. Like, have you ever held a pair? They're freaking amazing. But, like, try finding somebody to fix those. Besides the company yeah. that made them in the first place, you know? It's and, like, terrible to hear that watchmakers are going out of business. Though. Oh, that, you, you want to know why? It's not because they won't get business from people. So a, a professional watchmaker to actually be able to fix high or, like, any good watch. I'm not talking about your $20 mall watch. I'm talking yeah. about a nice watch. They have to have tools from a while ago. Like, if you buy new tools to try to fix a watch, they don't work. Right. They physically don't work with how watchmaking and watch repair are supposed to work. Yeah, they had so microlathes and shit like yeah. that back then that they actually used. Nowadays, like, to... the consumer lathes are, like, they're not precise at all in that way. And they had oh, specialized mm -hmm. machinery back then to actually make the watches. No. And it's like it's so, a dying industry because you know, people can just look at their phone for the time nowadays and have a smartwatch and shit like that too, and like those are even controlled by like yeah. planned obsolescence as well. So it doubles in on itself on that one. It's kind of funny, and that's just like a generational thing. But like, even if I'll, I'll, I'll see someone like wearing a watch and they don't have their phone on them, and they're like struggling to look for their phone to figure out what time it is <laughs> oh my god oh, i've god. seen that so much i think dude i've always wanted a really nice watch because same the whole same. idea of like having something that is like material in its ability is so attractive to me 
Mm-hmm. But like you can pass it down. Some of the some of the best. Um, oh, I forget what the uh, proper terminology is for it, but uh, an item that you an heirloom, uh, an heirloom watch, uh, is one that you can pass from generation to generation, and one of the best ones are. Um, not necessarily self-winding watches, but they have a small weight in the back, and you shake it from side to side, and it'll tr- it'll charge up a spring. There's no batteries in it. There's no technology. It's just a well-crafted watch, and um, it, not to say that it's like cheap in the manner that it's going to break over time, but it's not as flashy. But it just does its job very well. Um, Seiko is a brand of watch. And it's just... I mean, Rolex, they put out videos on how they fix their watches mm-hmm. because like, like it's like marketing for Rolex because it's really cool to see your watch being taken apart and like see the lube capsules being filled up and all that stuff. Like oh, to yeah. me, that's that's the best kind of um, marketing. Like it's a, like a watch showing that, that you can hide fix all the stuff. parts in it. Like, it, uh, like I guess they call it like skeleton watches, but it like it it doesn't have a clock or like an image of a clock behind your hands it just has the actual components that go into it it's incredibly satisfying oh yeah oh i did i want to watch now i <laughs> oh, did trust me me too you know like i've, I've i see I've these things and i'm like I, I could recommend I, my mom would shoot me if i spent like two grand on a watch Oof. same that's quite same. a amount i mean like, that's like what you want that's you're, well, that's what I would want. If I want to get a high quality yeah. watch, I'd I'd be spending that much just about. Yeah, you're you're not going to spend a cheap, cheap in quotes because some people's definition of cheap is different from others. But you're not mm-hmm. going to buy a watch that you aren't proud of to keep no, forever. Ridiculous. Yeah, right. it'd be yeah. it'd be a waste of money. And honestly, no, you're right because and it, it's something that kind of like takes a matter of understanding and be it from person to person. But if you look at how often you'll be using something, um, one of the best scales is how many hours have you used this in X amount of time and how much money did you spend on it? And so you could basically like, okay, say you're going to be buying a chair for your office, but you only I spend that. two hours a day. Oh, trust me, I do too. But like, <laughs> say you only spend like two hours a day on your computer tops you probably don't need the most crazy expensive chair. But if you're spending like 40 hours a week because you do all your work on a computer, be it through like digital design or CAD or whatever your um, lifestyle choice may be. And then outside of that, recreationally, you play video games or you um, uh, do a lot of just work on your computer outside of your actual like job. If you're spending 40 to 80 hours a week in a chair, you you kind of would be spending you you'd hope that you spend more money on it because if you look at the breakdown a ten thousand dollar chair that's a huge price tag that's like that's insane the, like that doesn't but over the really years you have it person. but yes if it lasts you like a decade and you look at how much you use that chair every day it could probably cost you like a dollar or less i mean or for like the hours that you're using it per week and it's just like how it, it's kind of a matter of like that large up upfront price tag can be daunting, but how much use are you realistically getting out of it? How much appreciation are you getting out of it? And that's why sometimes you can find a lot of money being spent on beds. I mean, that's where you spend about a third of your life on like an average scale for people. They're going to sleep about eight hours a day. 
that's most of your life. You might as well be getting the most out of it while you can and enjoy it. You shouldn't have to sleep on a really uncomfortable mattress if you have the opportunity not to. Oh, dude, you know, like I was going to say, invest in a pillow, people. Me, when I see a good keyboard for sale, but like (laughs) check visuals, it's just like the meme of SpongeBob reaching into his wallet. Like if I like (laughs) if I see something that I really want and like I'm going to enjoy using it and it's high quality, like that's me, you know. I'm like reaching into my wallet, just like take take my money, you know. It's like the, anything, anything I buy, like I really like getting stuff that I know is gonna last me and that is well made to begin yeah, with, you know. Quality does come with a higher price tag, but in the long run, and again, and it, it really is like those, like that pair of gloves you were talking about way back in the beginning, Hayden, is just like if you pay that large upfront in the long run, you might even be spending less if you kept buying something of cheaper quality if i kept buying like a couple hundred dollar office chair and it wears out every like three months in that 10 years i might be spending more money than had i just bought that one like like exorbitantly expensive chair but it's way higher quality i might not have as many back problems i might not have to go to the doctor because and never mind you'll be happy using it you know You'll be happy you'll, using you'll be something comfort- you spent harder cash on. If you're comfortable in it, if you're enjoying it, if you want to buy a $2,000 watch, you wear it every single day of your life, and it provides value to you both mentally and like in your like day-to-day routine. Like you, It makes you happy looking at it. Maybe you buy a specific one. There's many different types of watches for many different like aspects of life. If you're using different functions on it and you're just getting that use out of it, then that's, an, that's a, like a very good purchase that you can make for yourself. Dude, me and a good pair of socks. Just... I love wearing my good pair of socks. <laughs> back, the problem is, the is that big. it was eighteen dollars for the pair of socks. But like, I'd be but damn well happier to walk to wear them than I am to wear anything else. Yeah. You know, that you and they don't stink at the end of the on, day. Like, which an eight is pack weird. of shit socks that aren't gonna last you very long. Up right. Now. And it's something that my like dad kind of like taught me to do. Because and it's kind of silly that you need to do it, but you do get the the most out of it. But like, really putting time and research into a purchase before you make it because in like reading a bunch of reviews seeing what people who actually bought a product had to say about it and like finding what may be like the best product in a field be it for like a kitchen knife or a chair for your office or a computer that you're going to be using for a long time like whatever it may be put some time and effort into that research into finding what's truly quality and what's worth its price and like Will it last you a long time? Because that's like, those are the hardest barriers to try and work around is trying to get around planned obsolescence and finding those smaller companies. Because, and you're right, I mean, honestly, anytime you see an advertisement for something nowadays, it's kind of more of a nuisance than, uh, oh, hey, that's pretty cool. I might get one of those. It's like, you don't think about buying the product. You're probably just looking for the little X or skip button to get past it (laughs) or hide it. And so that word of mouth um advertisement by just having a good product and someone recommending you is like one of the <laughs> most profitable things i did i know people who have bought climbing shoes off of like a little mm-hmm. recommendation because like yeah i've had my black diamond momentums for like three something years now maybe mm-hmm. even four and they've lasted me this long you know i've There's had other people wear them too you know? completely off of having word of mouth recommendations i mean they don't have maybe they don't have enough money for advertisement or they just don't need as big of an audience but like my um my uncle owns a painting company or like a contracting company and he does a really good job but all of his 
clients recommend him by word of mouth because he does a good job. He puts a lot of effort into his work, and so they recommend them to anyone who needs that work done. Yeah, I was going to say, you were talking about companies that um, this is a great example of word of mouth. What's that one? Um, it's like a tea company. Um, you get these big cans. They're like 99 cents. Um, you know, at gas stations and stuff. Oh, Arizona tea. Yeah, yeah, Arizona. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have noticed this or if you've ever thought about it. They don't have advertising. Oh, no, never. Think about that. No, They don't have also- advertising. People buy them because they see other people with them or, you know, people say, oh, you know, I just got this. This is really mm-hmm. good. That's their whole company. And then you try it Hold and on. you realize, oh, wow, this is really good. And so Hold you on. keep buying there, it. There's another thing also, though, with Arizona. If a store has like a single can marked for more than 99 cents, you can actually complain to the company and they'll issue. They'll do two things. The fir- And it's an it's an order of two things first they'll issue a warning to the store that hey our this drink can only be sold at 99 cents and if you don't do it we won't give you stock and if they don't comply they stop giving them stock yeah i i work for a hockey or a hockey store and uh all more or less many companies have this but um bull actually well technically both both of the the major suppliers in hockey that being power and ccm as well as other companies, but those two come to mind. Um, they actually, in our contract of our store, um, as, as retailers, we are not allowed to sell a product at any other price than what they allow us to sell it at. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of hard though, to like find like, and that's, that's really, maybe it's just a matter of not placing money before the respect of your like products and like what your morals are. Cause it is hard to find a company nowadays i mean mind you there's plenty but it's hard to find companies that are like willing to put their foot down for something like that like or over such a silly matter because it comes at their own expense but then they build up this reputation and i mean people value them at a higher regard and they enjoy their product more so because they know well arizona like cares about the consumer they're putting effort on their own ends in order to make sure that i am like enjoying my product and at an affordable cost. Yeah, I know companies in the longboarding world, like like uh, companies like Venom Skate and mm-hmm. Motherboards, like they don't put any of their products in a lot of stores because like they'll mark them up and shit like that. They like distribute them directly, and like they're out of stock all the time because people in the skating community love the products because they are so good, and like it's almost like disrespectful to distribute their stuff above cost because it's meant to be that price because that's what it's worth, you know? And like, it's high quality shit. Like they won't sell the stores because the stores were upmark them because people would buy it at any price. Like that's, that's the length they'll go to, you know? It reminds me of um, two things. The one, which is funny to me, but again, like fits in line is like, um, the Costco uh, hot dog meal. I think, oh, dollar uh, fifty. You get a drink in the hot dog. Bro. Yeah, you get a drink in a hot dog. I'm getting dog a Costco membership for that. And, some and the chicken is five ninety nine still. Yeah, some guy That's like the, their I, I biggest think loss. A new management yep. or CEO uh, wanted to raise it. Um, yeah. God, I I don't even know what the quote was. So but... so um, it was a management 
like supervisor. So a guy high up. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, to the owner, it was like, hey, let's raise this price. And I'm not exact on this, but I want to say the quote went something like this. If you raise the price of the hot dog, I will literally kill you. Yeah, so- something along those lines. Let me pull. No, up. actually, yeah, that, that's exactly yeah. what it is. If you raise, and then in brackets, the price of the effing hot dog, I will kill you. Go, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Figure it's it out. Literally, <laughs> literally oh that too. <laughs> if you raise the price of the effing hot dog, I will kill you. Yeah, Costco <laughs> president W. Craig Jelinek once complained to Costco co-founder and former CEO Jim Senegal that their monolithic warehouse business was losing money on their famously cheap $1.50 hot dog and soda package. Senegal listened, nodded, and then did his best to make on his take on the situation perfectly clear. If you raise the price of the effing hot dog, I will kill you. Figure it out. That man oh my gosh. A big they, they, they also... um. Kind of the same thing with the chickens, you know, the roasted mm-hmm. chickens. Bro, they were they so I much think, money. I think they were like five fifty at some. Like over the past yeah. thirty years, they've had to raise the price by fifty cents every now and then because that's, that's literally it is literally impossible to keep on making the chickens at that price. They're they, at six dollars right now. They lose eighty percent of profits. Right, they lose eighty percent right. of profit from chicken because right. they're trying to give this product to people, especially the ones that need it or can't afford that kind of thing. They understand who their audience is and they're taking the steps in order to make sure that they can right. keep supplying and I supporting mean, them. The nice thing for a Costco, a, consu- or a consumer and a producer both support each other. You support a business with your money. And in some regards, I've heard that you kind of like vote with your money in terms of like what, where and what you buy from who will instigate like how they act. Right. I think the nice thing for Costco is that like the chickens are at the back of the store in every single store, right? And you like mm-hmm. you go through a, sco- a store one way every single time, with the most expensive items being normally at the front, and like the kind of more common items at the back, right? So all of the like consumable goods that like you need, right? The required goods are in the back of the store, and all of mm-hmm. the extra goods are at the front. This is intentional, right? They want you to see everything that you don't necessarily need. To see if you like, you'll buy it, right? Yeah. And like, you get at the back of the store, get the stuff that you actually need, right? But like, a lot of times people will go to Costco just for the chicken and manage to come out with a couple bags of chips, whatever. But like, they're still making money on everything else that they sell. So it's worth yeah. it for Costco to sell these things at a loss because it attracts customers. Same thing for the hot dogs, dude. If you're going to mm-hmm. buy a hot dog, you're most likely going to buy some random shit as well, you know? And like, oh, yeah. you don't necessarily need a membership to get the hot dog, but like, yeah, they're going to scan you in anyways. It doesn't matter, you know? And, like, if they get you on a membership just for hot dogs, then it's semi-worth it in its own right because <laughs> you'll go in and you'll go buy a laptop every now and then, you know. Or a good pair of socks or something. Yeah, well, they don't sell good pairs of socks. Yeah. Nate, what time are we at? Uh, we are at 9.25, an hour and 14 minutes on the clock. <laughs> I mean, we don't have much to talk about anymore because now we're just talking about no. quality of products. And, and, and we're, like, we're continuing to bring back like former topics we've talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I don't know, this stuff is just extremely I think it'll frustrating. Be okay for us to bring up this topic another time with more yeah. sources. Yeah, like it's always fine to update information that you've already what, talked about. What What are like? What's our goal for time? Like, I, what are we shooting for? I do not care. Hour, hour thirty. 
I, I, I honestly, I, if we talk for two hours, we talk for two hours. I'm just going to upload it raw. I don't care so how long, long it is. It has to be quality, though. It, it does it's have to be quality. Um, I do think I kind of agree with Zach. We should shoot for an hour, hour 30, mainly because that's digestible to people. Right. That's what right. people are used to. That's what I was going to say. Like, mm-hmm. two hours is a movie, man. Oh, Again, I know, I know. This is what I'm saying. Is like, it's it's okay to have, like, multiple segments on, oh, yeah. on obsolescence. We can come back to this another time, and that's okay. But at least get, give people something they can understand and kind of, like, introduce them to it. Like, we don't have to give the full story right now, and we don't even have a full story written up. Right. We and can, we can bring it back. We aren't necessarily a news source. We're not supposed to give you, like, the whole scoop in 20 minutes. No, whatever. not at all. You know, and, like, just you know, maybe yeah. we'll get that good eventually, but we don't write out everything. We aren't mm-hmm. reading off of a script. Like, we're if we did. We're going off of nothing except for, like, some minor facts that we wrote down. Right. And, and like, we. experiences. We read a couple sources and we know about the topics beforehand, and, you know, we'll do the story. If like if we don't know anything about the topic, yeah, we're gonna write questions for the interview and stuff like that. Um, make sure we get the facts straight. But mm-hmm. like the the whole idea is like to make sure that we have an understanding about the topic we're talking about and like continue on with like learning about it. We ought to know? be able to understand and convey the information properly if you're gonna be telling it to however large your audience is. Yeah, maybe like two listeners for this episode. <laughs> yeah, but... yeah, I mean, well, however large <laughs> I'm being. Small. Whoever it is that my you're the information to, is, <laughs> you want to be able to be credible. You want them, and you want to be able to be providing the correct information. Misinformation is a terrible thing nowadays, and that could be an entire story in and of itself. I mean, right? Oh God! Uh, next episode, misinformation. You guys want to tackle that one? That's a Mount Everest. That's like four episodes worth of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a topic where we could have four episodes each at two hours. And we would scratch the surface. Right. Like, but like, we, in my mind, a, it's like, we can kind of be funny about it. It, it could be a funnier we, episode than the series can, episode. We can, but I say we wait a little bit to do that. It's just like to, my like, people series. Like, oh my it's, God. it's something that's going to oh take God. a lot of research. No, because it, cause it, again, they're both really solid topics. A series oh, yeah. entirely on people, it would be amazing, but... Working I'm not on th- smaller topics. Well, I mean, I say small. Planned obsolescence is like a huge thing. Working on these like less known topics or less large in size to report on topics. Those planned obsolescence is pretty straightforward. It's industries just making a monthly income out of making terrible products. I, I that's my short answer. Oh, you can um, a recommendation on this planned ob- obsolescence thing. There is an episode of Johnny Harris's like YouTube channel where he talks about McDonald's machines and how they break down. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, let me pull up the exact name of the hey, hey, we we don't even need the video. We just get Nick on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, dude, <laughs> it, it's funny to me because they make so much money from the service technicians oh, that are yeah. required to fix yeah. the machines like Ver- McDonald's. Is... Yeah. McDonald's and that that company that makes the ice cream machine makes so much money together through this program. It's 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 insane. And yeah, it's a 30 it's minute documentary called The Real Reason McDonald's Ice Cream Machines Are Always Broken by Johnny Harris. And it's really good insight into the way that like all these industries work. Right. Yeah. It's it's a very, very good like Yeah, I actually just had the video recommended to me. It's a pretty good video. Oh my gosh. You guys, so good. You guys talking about it are going is going to have the algorithm recommend me the video. 
Right, well, yeah, but you gotta watch it anyways. Dude, it's worth it. Time's too speed. It's like 15 minutes, but 30 minutes and all. Oh, but dude. It, it is genuinely worth your time to watch. I could not recommend Johnny Harris enough, man. He, he's like a really, really solid generalist. One of my like favorite things about him, he doesn't report on something unless he like fully understands it. I mean, for the ice cream machine episode, he literally read through all the like manuals that are given to Dude, the company. Was it like a three hundred page manual or some shit oh like that? Yeah. He read through the Never service manual for this paper. ice cream machine. Oh my gosh, to, the to effort! Have a understanding on his topic, and like that's just a the overkill. Like hell no, we didn't read most of these studies for this episode. And no, like we not. just have a very large background of information about it. That's why we can, you know, yeah, kind of report on I'd it. I'd like to say that everyone does. It's just a matter of pointing it out. Is right. That's kind of that's kind of what we were doing today. Is just pointing out a lot of these facts. Oh yeah. And yeah. And like Again, I think it's, it's like, helpful it's to have people open their eyes into like the larger world of things. And like getting a better perspective on the world itself is like really helpful. And I think that's part of what we're trying to do here. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like one of the like main things is like the first step to a problem is being able to like acknowledge it or point it out. And this is for many things. It's one of the, like, the design process, the design process. I think it's like one of the main steps in like AA, like one of that, like that 12 step program, but it's just acknowledging like, the issue. You have to acknowledge an issue before you start taking strides to try and change it because you have to really figure out what is actually wrong. And then you can start working on, okay, here's one problem that's wrong. We can start working on this. Speaking of problem that can go wrong, um, I think that's the, epi- <laughs> the, the episode yeah. finish right there. I need oh, to go yeah. pee anyways, so. Um, <laughs> uh, at 5 a.m., yeah. so. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, I'm Nate. I'm Jackson. I'm Zach. I'm Aiden. And this has been the suspicious cast, I guess. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah? Bubu-bui. Yeah, a little bit sussing up in here, bro. Five o'clock somewhere. Everyone have a good night. <laughs> or a good start to their day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Morning. It's high noon somewhere in the morning. <laughs> it's <laughs> high noon. <laughs>